Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, Director of Practice Development at Real Self. My guest for the show today is facial plastic surgeon Andrew Campbell. And I've watched the growth of his practice for well over a decade with great interest because I have a family connection to Sheboygan, Wisconsin, where he first started out. Knowing that this part of the world can be frugal and that Northeast Wisconsin isn't exactly known for being a cosmetic surgery destination, I wanted to find out exactly how he grew from one to five locations, crossing half the state in an area that many would consider challenging. I sat down with Dr. Campbell at the San Diego AAFPRS meeting this fall to hear how he did it. Today's guest is Dr. Andrew Campbell, and he's a facial plastic surgeon from Wisconsin, and he has five locations across Wisconsin. Yep. And you can't just pick one because they're all awesome. And so what I'm going to talk about with Dr. Campbell today is his incredible growth in a market that's not easy to crack and has a patient that's a little bit different than places like the South where it might be a little easier. So Dr. Campbell, talk to us about this location strategy. How did you get to the point you're at and what made you so risk tolerant that you decided to go this wide? So we only have an hour, right? Yeah, right. That's a tough question to answer really briefly. I mean, I I was trained in uh, head and neck surgery and facial plastic surgery. So when I went out into the real world finishing my training, I actually did both. So I was doing ear, nose, and throat with sinus surgery and tonsillectomies, but I was also doing eyelid lifts and facelifts. And it was a few years, maybe three or four years in my practice where my cosmetic practice had grown enough that we realized being up in Sheboygan, which is about an hour north of Milwaukee, probably not the best location to try to do a fully cosmetic practice. And we had started marketing in the Milwaukee market and got some significant amount of interest, but a a significant number of patients would kind of hesitate about making the drive up to Sheboygan. So I talked to my wife and we we said, are we going to stay in Sheboygan or are we going to move to Milwaukee? And we decided to stay because we had three kids at the time and the schools were good and our relationships with friends and family and things. And so we decided to build a destination, and we did that. We built a 21,000-square-foot building. I had a dermatologist in about a third of it. We had a 2OR surgery center, the first one in Sheboygan County, and marketed out of Milwaukee and had enough people coming up that it, you know, and I was still doing insurance-based medicine. So it was working really well. I really needed to find a partner to take over my insurance-based practice. And the really long story short is surgery centers are really expensive. And so the answer to my problem ultimately became the hospital bought my building. They tore out my surgery center and turned it into office space for urology and family practice. And I started using their surgery center they built the year after I built mine. So it actually came out great for everybody. The hospital was happy. They got me a partner that took over my insurance-based. I went 100% cosmetic. So that was about eight or nine years ago. Prior to that, we had decided we needed a presence in Milwaukee and we ended up building a 5,500-square-foot building in Mequon, which is a nice suburb of Milwaukee. That facility has done absolutely wonderful. I started driving down there once I quit Duel. I was always going down there, but started, basically, that became my headquarters. And we then had our Sheboygan office as kind of a satellite office. And then I decided the people on the west side of Milwaukee have such a long drive to see us on the north side of Milwaukee, we should probably look at a place out there And we opened one on the west side about four or five years ago now. And so then I started going there too. 
you know, try to make this short, we ended up moving down to Milwaukee. I got a plastic surgeon to join me in that West Side location, and she was doing body surgery while I was doing all the face. Ultimately, I got a, another plastic surgeon to be a full partner in my Mequon Sheboygan location business. And he's been with us for a little more than a year. And he is awesome. So during this whole time, about a year ago, we decided let's see if we can create a business model where we have a leadership team that runs these locations. We have contracts between the locations and our leadership team. And the leadership team can then almost almost like a franchise run these businesses. And everybody gets to share in the cost savings, in the development of marketing. Um, and so we should be able to do things less expensive and more effective together than we would if we were all a bunch of di different individuals. And so that's where we were. I don't want to get into a lot of the changes that have happened, but we realized that the leadership team wasn't quite what I expected. And so we're kind of restarting that, but we still have the same common goal. We have a, a corporate office now that has our call center in it, that has our leadership team in it. And that has helped a lot. That was a interesting transition going from phone calls to each location to all the phone calls going into one location. But we've adapted to that and it's really worked out well. Our, our patients ultimately accepted the fact that they're not able to call their local location as easily, but our call team is so good and they're so personable that, you know, patients really haven't had any issues with that at all. So yeah, we have five locations. We got a corporate headquarters. We have a call center, plastic surgeons, facial plastic surgeons. We're recruiting for Madison now trying to find a, a plastic surgeon to join us there. Talk to me a little more about that call center and how you stood up that team and trained them to answer the phone and and what went into all of that? That that was probably a much larger undertaking than it sounds. It was and it wasn't. We basically took our best front desk person, we call them aesthetic advisors, and she had been working for us for five years. And she was just really good at answering the phone. And, you know, this is a process. You can't just take somebody off the street put him in there and ask him to answer the phone because that's it's not that easy. And I stress that whenever we have these conversations. It's like you can't, you, you literally have to learn how to do this because your natural instinct is not what you want to do. Because we naturally are kind of people pleasers and we naturally tend to ask yes or no questions and we tend to answer yes or no questions with a yes or a no. And when you're running a call center, you know, things as simple as smile because your voice sounds different. You know, that's rule number one. I mean, that literally is it. And then it's don't ask yes or no questions. Don't answer yes or no questions. You know, get all their information because we need to make sure that we can contact them should we lose the phone call or should they decide that they canceled. We just need their information. And then ultimately their goal is to schedule that person for a consultation if they're a new patient. And so those are the five aspects that we stress. And then there's a lot of detail in all those other things because they could be calling about Botox or they could be calling about a facelift or they could be calling about a breast augmentation. And the sixth thing would be you don't do a consultation on the phone because some patients want all this information. And it's like, well, we have a lot of information on our website. We have videos on our website. We call it an ARC, the Aesthetic Resource Center. Our call center is not supposed to be giving them a tremendous amount of information because they aren't experts in everything. 
You know, they don't have all the answers. So their job is to give them what they can. And then if it starts to get beyond their expertise, we then transfer them. So if it's a surgical concern, they really don't answer any questions at all. They just get my coordinator or my partner's coordinator on the phone immediately if we're able to, or we get their information and say, they're going to contact you in the next, you know, 30 minutes. So answering the phone right away, answering, we get a lot of contacts through our website. So a lot of these are email-based. You know, those are typically going to be answered within five minutes. So when they, this team also handles your incoming email leads? Yes. And are they calling out or are they responding by email or both? Depends on what the patient has left in the contact. So ideally they try to contact them via phone unless the patient's requesting via email because obviously it's more personal and you can get a lot more information back and forth quickly on a voicemail or a voice conversation than you can through an email. And so they're responding within five minutes to these inbound inquiries? Yeah. That's definitely impressive. Yeah. You know, that's that's something we've recommended from the real sales side for a long time. And I, I would say by and large, we get crazy looks when we say it because most people cannot set up a process to respond within five minutes. But but that's why we created the resource center because if you're the aesthetic advisor at each location and somebody's trying to check out because they just got Botox and the phone rings, which is the priority? You the gotta, person in front of the you. The person in front of you. You have to take care of that patient and give them a great experience. And you got to retain them. You need to make sure you got another you know, scheduled visit before they leave. And part of their responsibility is all of our patients should be on skincare. And if they're on skincare, they should be on our skincare. Because going down to Walgreens or to Sephora or Ulta is not doing their skin justice. You know, we can do a better job. And so part of their role as that aesthetic advisor is to make sure that our patients are on good quality medical grade skincare. Tell me more about the ARC, the resource center. Is that patient facing or is it? That is literally in a separate space. It is. So we, we literally have a space with those, you know, adjustable desks, heights, and we got the full screen. We've got the full software for our phone lines because we're all voice over IP. So, you know, they get a lot of information right up on their screen when they get a phone call. And then they're also monitoring our our contact page. So when somebody sends in a contact from the website, it goes right up onto their page. And so that's why if they're on a phone call, they can then go to that email after they get off of that phone call. And within five minutes, they're going to be answering that email. And if there's any overflow, if we have too many phone calls coming in, those actually do go to the local location. And we usually choose one that may not have a physician there that day, you know, so they're not quite as busy and swamped. And that way that person can answer just the overflow phone calls, whereas the people in the ARC will answer as many as they possibly can during the day. And they're really good. And we, you know, all these things are recorded. We listen to them. We'll literally come in, you know, once a month or one every couple of months and allow them to listen to some of the ones that we thought they could have done a little better job on. And it's just a learning experience. We're not here to slap their hand because they do a great job. It's more of what could you have done a little bit better here? Like sales coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, Allergan has a consulting arm that we use and they can do Secret Shopper. They can give us all kinds of resources. Uh, Obviously coming to meetings like this, you know, we're in San Diego and you know, at a facial plastics meeting, there's a lot of business lectures from a variety of different companies. And I mean, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and you just learn a lot of little pearls. 
And so you just pass those on and we have it all. You know, we're trying to create a, a manual essentially. And we, that'll be a never ending process. We just keep adding things to it regarding the way that they answer the phone, the way that they answer questions. And we don't want them to be scripted. You know, this isn't, you know, I could easily have wrote this out in paragraph form and they would, could click through a menu, patients calling about Botox, this is what I say. And it's like, that is so, in my opinion, fake. I don't want our, the people that answer the phone to sound like they're reading something off of a script because they're not. You know, these are real people that love their job, that have passion about the aesthetics industry. They want to build a relationship with the patient and they're part of the team because that's kind of the way we work at Quintessa. It's really a team effort. How have you approached teaching that team to credential you and the other providers as part of that process? It's just education. It's, it's just getting them to have awareness of who we are, what we do, and how we do it. And that takes a little bit of time. But you know, saying something like he's a double board certified facial plastic surgeon specializing in aging face surgery or rejuvenation surgery, however they want to talk about it, you know, that's me. That's who you are. Yeah. yeah. He's got 20 years of experience. You know, and they can get into details. I mean, they know I do a lot of my stuff in the office, which a lot of patients really like that they don't have to go to a surgery center or an operating room. And so they know those things. And, and so if they go into more detail, they can kind of pull that out. Have you had any surprise learnings from the Allergan consulting work that you've done with them? No, I wouldn't say surprise learnings. I think a lot of the stuff we already know we may not be doing as, as well. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because we literally just had them in a few weeks ago and we had most of our team there. And Gwen, who's our consultant, was up with her PowerPoint slide and she's going over best practices. And she must have had 15 or 20 different things that you should be doing. And we basically did 14 to 19 of those. So there was one thing that we weren't doing. And the funny thing is we were already working on it. And the really strange thing that I can't answer as to why is we used to do it, and then we stopped doing it. Just fell by the way. It did. And it's, it's something really silly. It's the cosmetic interest questionnaire. Oh. I mean, we used to have one, and we used to use it. And then somewhere in the transition through electronic medical records or, you know, because we went from one system to another, it's been years, and I realized we have not been asking, we have not been giving our patients a cosmetic interest questionnaire. This is a sales tool, right? It's that so basic. Asks you what are you concerned yeah. about, and you yeah, know, what parts of your body would you like? Yeah, and she had told a story of observing a practice somewhere where the patient went up to reschedule. I think she came in for some injectables. The patient's up at the front desk saying, "I need to." get going because I have a laser hair removal appointment in 10 minutes. And they look at her they, and they go, well, don't, don't you realize we do laser hair removal? And she's like, you do? Oh, no. Do you see? I mean, it's, it's so funny. And a cosmetic interest questionnaire would have said, do you have any concerns about unwanted hair? And she would have checked that off and they would have said, well, we do laser hair removal. You see? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure we've had a, a significant amount of lost opportunity over the years simply because we haven't had that in place. And I'm embarrassed to say it because it's such a simple thing and it's such an easy thing. It is. That we are now literally implementing in the next 30 days because we're finalizing, you know, what it looks like and all the things we have on it. So you switched from paper to electronic to do all this intake and, and put that questionnaire in. 
We did that at first back in 2005. Wow. So we've been on an electronic medical record, and then we switched companies in 2011. 12. I think it was 12. I'm sure that was an enjoyable process. They're both horrible. Yes. Horrible. But it's nice to have, especially with multiple locations, because we do see a lot of patients that, depending on what they're doing that day, they may show up at one location for their Botox, and next time they get Botox, they may show up at another. And the fact that we're all on the same program, you just pull up their chart, you see their last Botox appointment, exactly where those injections were done, how much was used, and you can repeat it even if you're not the person who treated them last. Another area where I think we miss opportunities is in re-engaging patients for non-surgical. So reminding people that they haven't had Botox in three months or four months or whatever time frame you decide. And I wonder how you approach that and what have you done to, to successfully bring people back in on a regular schedule? It, you said... They always have to schedule an appointment on the way out. Well, that's that's the easiest way, right? Right. Yeah, yeah retention. Get before they go home. Yeah, I mean, retention is huge. And that's the, the provider's responsibility, telling them we need to see you in three months or four months or whatever it may be. It's also the aesthetic advisor's responsibility to say, hey, we need to schedule you another appointment before you leave. Some people just don't like doing that. You know, they have a hectic schedule. They go, there's no way I'm going to be able to guarantee I'm going to be able to show up. And it's like, well, it, the answer is, well, at least let's get you on the schedule. And then if you can't make it, just let us know and we'll reschedule. That's what I would prefer. Some people just don't want to do it. And if they fall by the wayside, the interesting thing is the industry has now captured this because Allergan has their BD points system. The Galderma has their Aspire system where we can go in and pull up a report that says, here are the people that have not come in to see you in the last four months, meaning they've had Botox four months or further away than the four months. And you can literally pull up a report. They haven't seen you in more than four months. They're Botox patients. And then we do a reach out. And so that would be either the provider or ARC calling those patients saying, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. It's time to schedule another Botox visit. Smart. Talk to me about appointment reminders and how have you automated appointment reminders so that they're not just transactional, but I expect that you probably don't waste a single marketing opportunity, and I'm wondering what you do. So from an appointment reminder standpoint, our software does do that automatically, and a lot of patients will check off text. And so it will literally text them, I forget if it's 48 hours before the appointment or the exact timetable. If they don't have text, then that's another responsibility of our aesthetic advisors up front. They usually do it because that's more personal than our art calling them because they usually go to the same location. And so they'll know that Mallory's in Delafield and Mallory will call them up and confirm that they have an appointment on Tuesday. So do you find that you want the staff to lean towards the most personal way of reaching out and engaging with the patients? Absolutely. If you can call them, call them. You know, if you have to email, email's okay if you're not getting anywhere. But the personal relationship, I mean, of the we, we narrowed our core values down to three things, which is passion, relationships, and teamwork. And if relationships is one of our three core values, then we mean it. We want to get to know our patient better. I mean, these some people think this is a one and done type of a job or procedure, but it's not at all. I mean, even for patients who come in and they see me for comprehensive surgical rejuvenation, they're going to the operating room, getting a brow lift and their upper eyelids and lower eyelids and fat grafting and a deep plane facelift and a laser resurfacing. I mean, I, I do that all at the same time. It may be a seven hour surgery and they go home the same day. 
and they can't safely. I mean, they're, they're fine. It's not a horribly uncomfortable thing to have done. But they may think in their head, this is going to cure my problem and now I don't need to do anything. And I'll tell them before the surgery that you're going to be coming back. You're going to be getting broadband light treatments on a regular basis to keep your skin looking great. You're probably going to still need some Botox in some areas because my surgery isn't going to change you know, the overly used muscular function of your face. That's just a natural thing. So we're not changing that with surgery. You're still probably going to need some Botox. You may still need some areas of additional volume. And instead of having to go do more fat grafting, we may just tell you it's easier just to do some filler. You know, so broadband light is a staple. Botox and filler are certainly things that they would come back for. And then obviously as things come up, they may need something a little bit more aggressive, but hopefully they won't need anything surgical for quite some time. But that doesn't mean they get to leave and never come back. Because it's, it's better for them. You know, broadband light has been shown to literally preserve the appearance of skin over a very long time. So doing two broadband light treatments, I tell them, is like going to the dentist and getting your teeth cleaned. And then at home, you're going to use medical-grade skincare, and that's like brushing your teeth. And your skin is going to look better 20 years from now than if you'd never done that. And hopefully, we can prevent the need for any bigger laser things in the future. What do you find that's unique about the Wisconsin patient, especially in terms of skin and and how the environment affects them there? I'm not sure that I can honestly say that there's, you know, there's a couple of things maybe. You know, one, I, I think I keep having to remind myself when it's April, the sun is as intense as it is in August from a UV standpoint. And in April in Wisconsin, it's not very warm, but it's usually a decent month from a sun versus rain perspective. So you have some nice days, but it's probably in the 50s. And you go outside and you're doing some yard work or you're just going for a walk, you're getting a fair amount of sun to skin that has been pretty sheltered over the previous several months because you've been indoors for the winter. And so people can maybe get a little more sun damage than they intended simply because of the fact that we aren't in a warm climate. You know, if you're in Florida, you know every day you need sunblock because every day is going to be kind of intense. But up in Wisconsin, I think people kind of put that to the side over the winter and then they come out in the spring and the next thing you know, they get burned and they have pigment and then they're seeing us for broadband light and other lasers. Wisconsin also has a relatively Northern European population. You know, Norwegian, Swedish, German, you know, a lot of that genetics ages less gracefully than some of the Southern European genetics. You know, the pale skin and lighter eyes will wrinkle at a younger age than darker eyes, darker skin. So those patients are seeing us because they have signs of aging that maybe some other people don't. I have a perception that that patient is probably pretty frugal and can tend to be conservative. And so have you found over the last 15 years or so that the patient base is getting younger when they start coming to see you? Or would you say they skew older? Is there something? I, would, I will agree with you with being frugal. I mean, I, I think that even though certainly the area that I started has a lot of extremely wealthy people, they don't like spending their money. And that's okay. You know, it just makes my job a little more difficult and the business a little more difficult. And just the culture of, you know, the community isn't as appearance focused as, say, New York City or LA or. Dallas, Texas. So I, I feel like I, I do struggle a little bit with the market, but we do pretty well. So I, I'm not struggling that bad. 
Do you think that you've actually grown the market yourself with all the marketing and the work that you've done so well? I'm sure we have. I mean, I'm sure you have too. And realize the most effective form of marketing by far is word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And so just by the fact that I have now done literally thousands upon thousands of eyelids and facelifts, there's people now, thousands and thousands of people out there that are eventually telling their friends or relatives or somebody, you know, why they look so good. And that friend or relative ultimately then comes to see me. And that's how I get people from Florida and California and Texas to come up to Wisconsin to get their face done. It's not because I'm so nationally famous that they seek out somebody like me. It's because their friend had their face done by me. They look great and they don't know who to go to see. And so they're like, well, she got a great result in Wisconsin. I'm going to go to Wisconsin, stay with my friend, and I'm going to let Dr. Campbell do my face. You turned Wisconsin into a destination. Yeah. I even had a lady from France come over. She had ties to Wisconsin. We all want to go where we know we're going to get a good result. Yeah, Yeah, and experience is where you're going to get a good result. If somebody else got a good result, you're probably going to get a good result too. I stalked you on Instagram to see uh, what you were doing there because it's been a really hot topic uh, probably for about 18 months, maybe two years now among doctors. And I think you had uh, 140 followers. Don't quote me. Sounds but about right. obviously you're not worried about what's happening on Instagram. No, no. <laughs> and I um, think you just answered why it's because your word of mouth is so strong. And Well, realize being a facial plastic surgeon that's, that specializes in aging face the majority of my patients aren't on Instagram regularly. No, they're not. So it's more for my partner who's doing body plastic surgery, the breast dog patient, the mommy makeover, you know, liposuction. I mean, breast dog and liposuction patients are usually quite a bit younger. And those people definitely are on Instagram. I started doing it simply because everybody told me I needed to go do it. And I'm like, okay, I can I can do this. It's kind of fun. But then you kind of forget and because I'm not a big social media guy. And it may go a couple of weeks and then I forget to post something. I just posted something this morning because I'm looking out my window in San Diego at, at the San Diego Bay, looking at all these beautiful boats and the city skyline and Coronado. And it's like, I'm just going to post something about being here at the meeting and I'm giving a facelift talk. Makes sense. Yeah. It's for beautiful photos, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I try to do it a little educational too where I want to tell them something that they may not know. Because there's just so many weird, I guess, urban legends is what I'll call them, you know, out there where they they think one thing and you're thinking, where did you get that? Because that's not at all, you know, the way we do things. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's a huge need for education, which that's why real self exists. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple more questions for you. Let's go to real self for a moment. You're currently helping us out on the Real Self Business Advisory Board. And I just was curious if there's anything that surprised you about Real Self when you actually came out to visit and saw our office in Seattle. Or was there anything that you didn't know before you joined the board? Well, I'd never been there, so I didn't know what it looked like. But I'm in a business group in Wisconsin that has a bunch of different members. And I've been to their businesses and they've got these amazingly run companies with big call centers. and So I've been in similar circumstances, but it's a super cool location. I think the building is really neat with the exposed timbers and the high ceilings. And I've known Tom Siri for, it's got to be 15 years or something, maybe longer. So to watch it go from something that nobody'd ever heard of 
to this, what I would consider a pretty sizable company in Seattle, you know, he's, it's impressive. And I, I think they are so smart to do something like our business advisory board because it's, you know, I'm guilty of this too. You can't see the forest for the trees. I'm immersed in facial plastic surgery. I've been in it for 20 years. So when I talk to somebody, I'm doing it from 20 years of experience of doing this and they don't know anything I'm talking about. So I think Real Self is smart to get people that are outside of their dot-com world and get real-life people that are dealing with this, which are us, the surgeons, to come in and give them our recommendations, our experiences, where we think that they're falling down and not holding up their value, where they can improve. And they've been extraordinarily receptive to this. I mean, they are making some very major changes to the platform because of what we've said. So that gives us satisfaction of this isn't just wasted time. Yeah. I know that feedback loop has been more impactful than anything we've ever done. So we're grateful that you're on it. There's one question that we ask every podcast guest, and it is, what is your superpower? Wow. My superpower. I guess when I think about it, I I think about it in a couple of ways. One is me as a surgeon. I think my superpower is I can see things that maybe others can't, meaning I've always been an artist. Ever since I was two years old, I would be drawing incessantly. And I remember seeing some of the drawings I made and it said age two. And I'm thinking that looks like a nine-year-old drew it. So, I mean, I've always had this mind that can see things and kind of repeat them. I've always had a very three-dimensional mind. So in all those testing in school, I'd always kind of, I'd be 99th percentile in three-dimensional. And so for me, seeing things, like I love seeing a patient where I just know, just by looking at them, they're going to look stunning when I'm done. I mean, stunning. And they're looking at me like, why are you looking at me that way? And I kind of have to explain, I can see what you're going to look like when, when we're done with this surgery. So that's one of my superpowers. From a business standpoint, I think it would be, I am probably the biggest risk taker that I've ever met. I'm not afraid to do anything. I mean, we've had some situations where, you know, from a financial perspective, we're looking at it going, this isn't looking good. And I look at it like, well, worst case scenario, I lose my house and I lose my car and I got to move into an apartment and we go bankrupt. Where do you think this comes from, this superpower of risk-taking? I don't know. Part of it is because I'm a Christian and I believe that, you know, God has a plan for me and God loves me and he's always going to take care of me. And even though I do stupid stuff sometimes, he forgives me and I'm going to keep moving forward. So that's where a lot of that comes from, definitely. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. It was a real pleasure hearing more about your stories and I look forward to seeing your next five locations open in in Wisconsin. Well, it's interesting. The reason that I even started this is because historically speaking, and my dad was a doctor, doctors are not good business people. They just aren't. And I have made so many mistakes over the years. I've taken huge risks and they've worked out, not necessarily gloriously, but they've certainly worked out. And then I've kind of moved on realizing that probably wasn't the best decision that I made. And I've learned, I mean, I just can't tell you, I've definitely made more mistakes than I've made you know, heroic decisions. 
And I don't want other surgeons to have to go through all that again. And so if I can take my historical knowledge and my visionary personality and risk-taking and help develop something that another surgeon can come in and be a partner in and basically reap the benefits of my experience because we, we basically run the company for them, but they're owners, so they reap the benefits of ownership. They're not just an employee. That's what I, was try- what I am trying to create, that I have created. I mean, that's what we have right now. And so, so far, so good. I mean, my full-time partner, who's literally a 50-50 partner, and I, my advisors were going, you don't want 50-50, you want 51-49. And I said, no, I don't. I want 50-50. They should have full right of refusal to anything that we want to do. If I can't talk them into this through experience and you know, information and financial information, then we probably shouldn't be doing it. And so far, that's worked out really well. And I, I hope that the model grows simply because I'm really out to try to help a passionate surgeon have an incredible career. I wish you every success. I think that your philosophy is amazing and I am excited to see where it goes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And the mission of Real Self University is to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of this podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive preferred rates. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email me at university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.